0: Deborah and I have uh, recently been enjoying watching this television show that deals with uh, with pawning things um, and selling things. And are, are there pawn shops in Norway, or is that a uniquely American thing? I think so. There, there might be. You know, sometimes somebody needs money and they. They, they need to bring something in or they, wanna, they need a loan, and so they bring something as collateral, and then they get money, and then they have to pay it back in a certain time. So we enjoy one of these shows. And what I, what I always love is people bring this stuff in, and then they ask crazy prices like a, a, an old coin or a, an old uh, a bill of some kind or a piece of art. And then you wonder is this real or is it fake? Is it real or is it fake? And then, so they bring in some expert to come and, and look, and like they take the coin and they're looking, and there's there's always signs to know if something's real or fake. And uh, one of the neatest uh, objects that uh, that I that we've seen is somebody brought in uh, Babe Ruth's uh, called shot baseball bat. So in in America, anyways, baseball is a big deal. It's like cricket is in in uh, the areas of the the British Commonwealth. And I don't understand cricket, and you might not understand baseball, but baseball is a big deal in America. It's a, it's the national pastime, and and of all the players in baseball, Babe Ruth is the the most famous, and was just an amazing amazing player. And it as it happens. This called shot happened in uh, New York. The New York Yankees are in the World Series, and it's Game 3 in 1932. And in the fifth inning, the, the Yankees are, are trying to, to win this game, and Babe Ruth at the plate. And he stands up there, and the ball's thrown, strike one. The next pitch comes, strike two. And everybody's on their their feet. Will Ruth come through? And so, as the legend has it, there's always debates about legends, but as the legend has it, Babe Ruth lifts his bat and points to center field. And the next pitch comes, and bam, he hits it into deep center, over 440 feet. Home run. And this legend grows. This is the called shot. And the holy grail of all collectible baseball paraphernalia would be Babe Ruth's called shot bat. And so we're watching this television show, and allegedly this guy has Babe Ruth's bat. Okay, So the owner of this pawn shop goes out and visits this guy and, and looks at the bat, and, and it, looks, it looks authentic. And, and so he asks, well, how much do you want for it? And the guy said, million. $2 million. $2 million. And so he's, the, the owner says, well, uh, can I take a few pictures of it? And he, and he does, and he weighs it, and his expert's not there, and he's, he's smart enough to buy. He's still in business because he knows to talk to an expert. So um, as the show goes on, uh, the expert comes and, and looks at uh, these pictures and, and he's first of all okay um, how long is the bat yeah that's good what does it weigh okay yeah that's within what Babe Ruth used he shows him the stamp on the bat he's like oh yeah that's a good sign and then uh, he turns the bat and he's like what does it say there's writing on it and it turns out somebody else's name is written on it at the end of the year if a player had a good year they'd send their bat to Louisville Slugger they'd make a new one but somebody else's name was on it strike one. <laughs> and then they look at, uh, they look at another thing with the, the pen that was written with the guy's name on, it wasn't the right kind of material. Um, so is was strike two. And then they looked at the end of the baseball bat and there was a stamp number 35. And the professional players never had the length of their bat stamped on their bat because it was made just for them. And somebody had put black on it and tried to rub it out uh, and, and block it out. And so it was a clear forgery. So what was a $2 million bat became a two to $300 bat. And it was a fake. And it was a fake. So when we watch the show, there's real items and there are fake items. There's genuine items and then there's forgeries. And as we turn to the Gospel of John, what we are seeing here is, is the Pharisees are getting more and more upset at Jesus. Jesus is coming back at them to show true, the true people of God from the fake people of God. And there are some very clear signs that show if a person that says I'm a child of God is truly a child of God, or if they're fake, if they're a phony. And so we're in this part of the Gospel of John where the the battle between Jesus and the Pharisees is intensifying. And we're going to see this comparison between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Jews that don't believe versus the ones that do And we're going to see this comparison of who is real and who is fake. Who's the real shepherd? Who are the fake shepherds? Who are the real sheep? And who are the the fake sheep? So I've entitled this message this morning, That Real Christians Listen to Jesus. We're going to talk about the great sign if you are a child of God. Real Christians listen to Jesus. And so I'm going to defend that statement from the Gospel of John in three parts this morning. So we'll look at this in three parts, asking the question, why do real Christians listen to Jesus? So I'll give you three answers of why real Christians listen to Jesus. The first reason is because Jesus is the true shepherd of God's people. Jesus is the true shepherd of God's people. As this text opens up, we are are flowing from the words of chapter 9, where Jesus again uh, was condemning the Pharisees. He healed the eyes of the blind man. And the blind man believes, and all the Pharisees can think about is that Jesus was violating their interpretation of what you could or could not do on the Sabbath day. And they didn't believe. And, and Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who do see may become blind. And the Pharisees get mad at him. And they say, If, if you were blind, Jesus says, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And now Jesus' debate with the Pharisees continues here then in chapter 10. And here Jesus is going to show how he is the true, sh- true shepherd. And in verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. And John then says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So then Jesus goes on and, and cites some of the most famous words in the Bible. And one of the most famous analogies by way of this analogy of the shepherd and the sheep, is calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Jesus comes to give people life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And this was the business of the Pharisees in Jesus' estimation. Far from leading people To eternal life, as Jesus says when he makes the woes in in Matthew, he said that they are making children of hell far worse than themselves. And this was foretold in the word of God that thieves and robbers would come from the Israelite leaders, and it goes all the way back even to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord says to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, and say to them, Even the, to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, but the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And this is the playbook of the Pharisees, as well as it was in Ezekiel's day. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12 or Mark 12 concerning the Pharisees. And he said, "Beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers." The Pharisees made all sorts of rules that and all sorts of laws that required you to pay and make these offerings and they were literally impoverishing widows. They were taking advantage of the people for their own gain. And Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. While in contrast to the Pharisees, Jesus says that he is the door. We see two more of Jesus's I am statements in John chapter 10, and Jesus calls himself the door. He says, "I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved." and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is the way to God. Later on, he's going to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as Jesus being the door to this sheepfold, which normally in the ancient Near East, the sheepfold would be this kind of uh, area encircled by rocks, and then there would be a gate, and the, the gatekeeper or the shepherd would stand there to protect the sheep. So Jesus is this way, and as Jesus describes himself as the door, he shows that he is, on the one hand, the way of salvation. The way of salvation. He says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He's the way of salvation. But he also shows as the door, he's the way of the abundant life, of the abundant life, of spiritual blessing. He says that they will go in and out and find pasture. That means find grass. He will lead them to grass, to good food. And he says that, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So as the door, as this true shepherd Jesus is the way of salvation, the way of life, and the way of abundant living. As we go on, then, he also says, not only is he the door, he is the good shepherd. And we see this in verses 11 to 18. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me So how is Jesus the good shepherd one we see in verses 11 and 15 and 17 that he sacrifices his life for the sheep. He lays it down. Where the other shepherds will flee when they see danger coming, he stands between the wolf and the sheep and will even give his life to defend his flock. This, of course, this laying his life down points to the cross as we move forward in John all of this is pointing forward to the cross. All of these great signs and these great I am statements are pointing to the great sign and the great revelation of Jesus' glory through his life, death, and his resurrection. Jesus is also the good shepherd because he finds his lost sheep. You know, when we were confessing, when Jesus says, I have other sheep, He's talking about people like us. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must find them also, that there may be one flock and one shepherd. And this points us to the Jew and Gentile church that he was putting together as Paul says in Ephesians 2 that Jesus made one new man in the place of two, uniting both in his, in his body. One household of God, one people of God, one dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's what we see going on here. He's going to send his disciples out to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them as we did today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are in this text, friends, if you are gods. So we're talking about how Jesus is the true shepherd, and we've seen how he confronts the Pharisees, how he says he's the door, how he says he's the good shepherd. But one last and vital piece we we must see about why Jesus is the true shepherd, and that's because Jesus is God. We see a very important claim to deity in this text. If you look at verses 30 and 31, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And after he said that, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, to kill him. Why? It's in verse 33. The Pharisees say, for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And this is an important theme in the Gospel of John as a whole. Remember, the, the Gospel itself begins where Jesus, or where John says, excuse me, of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we saw it in another way when they were asking John the Baptist, who, who are you, John? And John says, quoting Isaiah, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, of Yahweh. And now he's saying that Jesus is this person. He's making the way for God himself. In chapter 8, not, uh, not that long ago in our series here in the Gospel of John, there was another time when the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus. Remember in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, where Jesus says to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Using the very name of God, I am what I am. And they picked up stones and tried to stone him. John loves this theme of the deity of Christ and we see it also in his letter in 1 John where at the end of 1 John the same man who writes the gospel of John says in John 5 20 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is true God and eternal life. So why is Jesus the true shepherd of God's people? It's because he is the true door. He is the true shepherd, and he is God himself. He is God himself. And in this way, we see this marvelous fulfillment of the most known and the most beloved of all psalms in the Psalter, that everyone is a child memorized. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yahweh, the personal name, the God of Israel is my shepherd. And here we see this glorious fulfillment of Psalm 23 in Jesus Christ. The Lord, God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, is my shepherd, and he leads me beside still waters and to green pastures and even in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with me. He's with us as his people and will lead us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake and to the gates of glory itself when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is Jesus, the true shepherd of God's people. That's why real Christians listen to Jesus. He is the true shepherd of God's people. Now the second answer to the question, why do real Christians listen to Jesus? It's because Jesus' real sheep follow his voice. Jesus' real sheep follow his voice. Sheep know the voice of their master. We, at the, our first house we lived in when we moved to Stavanger, there was a sheep pasture right next door. And um, the, the, sheep, the, the, the farmer could always get his sheep, but we would watch like his grandkids try to get the sheep, and they'd be bolting all over the pasture. And one time, one of these little sheep, the lamb, got out and I saw it and I tried to chase it down. And he just bolted his, from me as fast as he could. I was a stranger. He did not know my voice and he was not coming to me. But the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And Jesus uses this well-known illustration for us today as well as in his time. Sheep know the voice of their master. And Jesus says as much here in, in chapter 10. When he says in verse, verse 3, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. In verse 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did, did not listen to them. The sheep did not listen to them. He says in verse 16, And I have other sheep, as I said, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, because they know him. The sheep know his voice. And in the contrast, then, is that fake sheep will not listen fake sheep will not listen. Or maybe a, a, another way of saying it is just the sheep that don't belong to the shepherd will, will not listen. And in fact, in these ancient Near Eastern times, you could have this, this, uh, this sheepfold, like I talked about, with, with rocks built up and a gatekeeper watching the sheep. But you could have several different flocks in that one pen. And the shepherd would come in and call his own sheep by name and just his sheep would come out and follow him out while the others would still stay in the pen it's pretty amazing but the fake sheep will not listen and jesus says as much in verse 26 when he says but to the pharisees but you do not believe because you are not my sheep the reason the pharisees did not believe is because they didn't know his voice they are not his sheep So we see as Jesus is doing battle with the Pharisees that not only are the Pharisees false shepherds, but they're also false sheep. They're both false shepherds and and false sheep. For what do the Pharisees do when they hear Jesus' voice? They say, He has a demon. When they hear Jesus' voice, they don't believe, they say, Stone him. And as they're going to do at the end of the chapter, they're going to seek to arrest him. And yet the Pharisees are the the creme de la creme of the Israelites, of the people of God, of the flock of God. And yet Jesus says that they are fake, they're phony, they're not my sheep, and that's why they don't listen. They're fake, they're phony, they're fraud. So what can we make of this then as Jesus makes this comparison of true and false sheep, those that are his and those that are not his, how does that apply to us as we receive these words? So there just like there was a, a test to see if Beirut's bat was was genuine or, or fake, there is a test that we see here and a very s- plain and simple one here real christians listen to jesus cuz they know his voice and they're they're his but we also see that you are a fake christian if you don't believe that he is god you know when uh, i'm i'm very much still a cultural learner of of how norway works and then the cultures and i love it and it's great cuz i feel like i get to know my own ancestry better in doing so and i would ask um, some of the Norwegians that I met early on just helped me understand like the state of the gospel in Norway and, and what do people believe and, and what they said is just like in, uh, in America, uh, the same thing in Norway, there can be a lot of people that you would say are cultural Christians that they kind of identify with, with uh, being a Christian by just the natural heritage and you still see that in America as well. Uh, and, uh, but one of the one of the, the Norwegian gals I talked to said that a lot of the girls that she went to school with, her students, she would say, she would ask, are you a Christian? They'd say, yes. But then she'd say, do you believe that Jesus is God? And they'd say, no. And so I don't know if that's your experience, but I, I know I've heard similar things in the U.S. as well, that you can have people that kind of put on Christianity as a culture, for whatever reason, but it really doesn't mean anything. And when you come to what Jesus says in even his claim to deity, that you can't be a real Christian if you don't believe that he is God. We also see in this text, even more plainly, that that you're a fake Christian if you refuse to listen to Jesus' word. And another thing that that a very strange theology that has happened in the West, if you could call it that, that I know is uh, true both in America and in Norway. I don't know about Australia or Indonesia. Um, you could fill me in on that. But of people that say, Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. So I, Jesus will, I will go to heaven through Jesus, but that's where it stops. He does. Who is he to tell me how to live? You know, I'm going to live my own way. Don't tell me how to live. And and any kind of teaching from the Bible then is called legalism. But Jesus shows here that his sheep know his voice and they listen to him and they follow him. So a person is a fake Christian if they call themselves a Christian but refuse to listen to his word. Or maybe something that we see going on as the culture becomes more hostile to the church and to Christianity. You see people that call themselves Christians, but they bend and twist and edit the word of God so that it's more culturally acceptable. But that's not what genuine sheep do either. They hear his word. The Pharisees, in fact, bended and twisted the word of God. And they are clearly, as Jesus says, not his sheep. And one last one, and then I'll move to uh, the positive side. So you are also a fake Christian if you use him for salvation. This is a little bit more expanding what I said already. Use him for salvation, but reject him when he tells you how to live. But now for the good news. What is this great sign? What is the great test to know that if you are a Christian? And I will tell you, this is really important because every genuine Christian has asked the question, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? I think we've all wrestled with that question from time to time. And while Jesus is very critical against the Pharisees and the Jews that are rejecting him, uh, and he would be, of, and he is, of Christians today who call themselves Christians but refuse th- to believe in him, that he's God, or refuse to listen to his word, or they want to bend and twist his word. At the same time, the shepherd is here for his people. And he shows us in this text that you are a real Christian if you hear his voice. And you are a real Christian if you believe in him. The great signs that we have in John, that bookend, John 10, in this battle with the Pharisees, is the blind man who receives sight. And when Jesus disclosed himself to him, he said, I believe. He said, I believe. And at the end of John 10, after the Pharisees are ready to stone him and arrest him, And he goes away. Many of the people remained there and they said in verse 41 and 42, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. So to pass the test of are you a real sheep? Are you really part of Jesus' flock? Is not for you to do some kind of um, hoop jumping or jumping hurdles or showing that you're a really, really good person or something like that. It's do you believe? Do you believe in the good shepherd? Do you listen to his voice? When you open his word, do you love it? Do you want to know more? Do you want to hear it? Even when he says a hard saying, you might say, Lord, this is a hard saying, but. You are a lot wiser than I am and I'm going to trust you. That's the sign that you are a real Christian. That you are truly part of his flock. Jesus says, I know my own and my own know me and they follow me. They listen to my voice. Lastly then in close, I I want to give you one third answer to why do real Christians listen to Jesus? And this is where we come to a bit of a hard saying when we really understand this answer I'm about to give you. Real Christians listen to Jesus because, three, Jesus' real sheep are truly saved by grace. Jesus' real sheep are truly saved by grace. And what I want to explain is the reason that they listen is not because they're really good people. The reason that they listen is not because they're really smart, but because God's done a work of grace beforehand to call them and make them his own. I want to say two things in closing on this, this point of how we are truly saved by grace that are really important in this in this text number one that god chooses the definite number of his people god chooses the definite number of his people in verse 3 jesus says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name meaning there are sheep that are his and there are sheep that are not his in 10:14 in uh, verse 14, he says, "I know my own, and my own know me." In verse 16, he says, "I have, He knows already, I have other sheep." He doesn't not say hypothetically there are other sheep. He says, "I have other sheep that are not of this field. I must bring of this fold, I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd." In verse 26 and 27, he again says to the Pharisees, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then in verse 29, Jesus says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This idea of the definite number of God's people foreknown for which Jesus comes is a really important theme in John's gospel. It's a very important theme. When we look at the broader gospel in chapter 1, which lays out the great themes in the prologue, the great themes of John in chapter 1, verse 13, He talks about those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. People that were born of God, not because we wanted to be children of God, not by the will of our flesh, but by God. And in chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So the father is the one giving Jesus his flock. It's like like the father who passes the inheritance down to the son, and the son is going to take over the farm and the sheepfold. These are my sheep. And the father gives them to the son. The father gives them to the son. The sheep aren't like jumping the fence trying to get in and saying, can I be part of your flock? The father gives the flock. To the shepherd, to Jesus. And in chapter 665, Jesus says, This is why I told you, when the Pharisees are rejecting him again, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This is a big theme, like I said, it's a huge theme when we come to Jesus' high priestly prayer later in the Gospel, in John 17, where Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and you have, and they have kept your word. And 17.9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. And 17.24, Father, I desire that they also, he's speaking of those, these ones that are out, not of his fold at the moment, these others that will come afterwards. And Jesus says, I desire that they also whom you have given me because you, that they would be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So the sheep in Jesus' day that follow Jesus, that listen to him, have been given by the Father. They were not born of the will of flesh or the will of man. They were given by God. The sheep that will come In the disciples' day and afterwards, those two have been given to Jesus by the Father. The sheep are a definite number. This is like a theology of sheep. But if it's the Father that gave the sheep to Jesus, it wasn't the sheep who made the choice to become Jesus' sheep. They became sheep because God gave them to Jesus. And they know his voice. That's why they're saved by grace. So that there's no boasting and saying, if you're a real Christian, because the reason that you can listen to God, the reason you do know the voice of the shepherd is because God made you a sheep. There's a definite number of his people out of the world that God has appointed to be the sheep of Christ. And then secondly, and we'll close with this, The second reason Jesus' real sheep are truly saved by grace is because Jesus died for his specific people. Jesus died for his specific people. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is a theology of a doctrine that we call limited atonement or definite atonement. Jesus did not die for everyone. He died for his sheep. In 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's referring to his sheep as we read in the context of John. I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 28, I give them eternal life. He's talking about his sheep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And again, Jesus died specifically for his people. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus' business is to raise up on the last day those that the Father gave to him those that the father gave to him or another book in the new testament that john writes revelation chapter 5 verses 9 to 10 again who did jesus die for we see this new song worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed for god from every tribe And language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign. When Jesus gave his lifeblood on the cross, it was to ransom his people that he might raise them up on the last day from every tribe and tongue and nation. It's one of the most wonderful things about being an international church. We have representatives here from all sorts of nations. And if you are God's child, he specifically and definitively died for you. So that you weren't a theoretical idea to Jesus. And this is the glory of the gospel and the glory of Christ in John. Jesus did not die theoretically if you so happen to believe in him. God gave you to him and he died for you. Specifically, From heaven, Jesus came to seek you as the lost sheep of his pasture and to die specifically for you, not hypothetically, but deliberately, definitively, specifically. And that's grace. When we say grace, when we say we love the grace of the gospel, it's because we didn't have anything to do with it. God makes his people his own and God sent his son to die for his own, to die for his own. Now there's the text in John, 1 John, another letter John writes in the New Testament where he says that Jesus is the propitiation not only for our sins but for the sins of the whole world that some say, well, no, 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 he died for everyone. But when you think about propitiation, which means making an atonement for sin, if he did that for everyone, then the whole world would be saved and we would be teaching universalism, which is a heresy in the church. And and the Bible clearly teaches that not everyone will be saved. So then, how is Jesus' sacrifice limited? Is it limited in the sense that it only has power if someone says, I believe? Or is it limited to the number that he died for? In John ten and in the Gospel of John, we see clearly that it was limited to the people that he came for. Came for. That anyone who believes in him will be saved. But if they do believe in him, it's because they are his sheep. And God made them his sheep, and not the other way around. Okay? God made them as sheep. And so when, when John says he's a propitiation for the sins of the whole world, he means not just for Jews only, but for Gentiles as well, not just for this church or this time, but for all time. Okay, so why do real Christians listen to Jesus? It's because he's the true shepherd of God's people. He's the real, that Jesus' real sheep follow his voice and that Jesus' real sheep are truly saved By grace. So if we call ourselves Christians and hate the Word of God, if we call ourselves Christians but don't believe that Jesus is God, if we call ourselves Christians but bend and twist and edit His Word so that the culture is happy with it, we're fake. We're phonies. We're frauds. But if when we hear the voice of the shepherd in His Word and we believe, We're the real deal, not because we are great or smart or really good or well-behaved, but because God in his grace chose to save you and me. And we delight in his word because of the grace of Jesus. So friends, the true shepherd saves his true people, even extending to you and me who believe. And if you listen, that is the sign That you are real. By grace, you're the real deal. You're not fake. And that in the end, the Lord who is our shepherd will not only deliver us from all evil and atone for our sin, but will lead us to the green pastures of glory in the new heavens and the new earth, world without end. Amen. This is the glory of our Lord as our good shepherd let's pray